Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. Tonight, we're talking about Anubis, the gatekeeper of the dead in Egyptian mythology. Here's his story. Would you like to start the prayer then? Okay. I invoke all and only the 100% compassionate and perfect support of alignment with the sanctity, sovereignty, and success, the very highest good, blessing, protection, and well-being of us and ours in each moment throughout our lives and throughout our time. If we can keep up a boundary, keeping all others out, and ask that they be respectfully, compassionately, appreciatively, fully, completely, and wholly escorted out at this time. Of those of you I specifically invite, I particularly welcome spirits of the West, North, East, South, Father Sky, Mother Earth, and Great Spirit, the elements, the liminals, the gods, the ancestors, all who we love and who love us. Particularly, I suppose, Anubis. <laughs> And Saga. Family. <laughs> and this is family Saga, who may be Frigg, maybe not. That's a question we can find out another time, maybe. But I want to invite the primordials, those beings that really set things in. They themselves were set in motion, and then they set things in motion. And in motion, things still are. But I invite those primordials not only to be here in this session, but to be here in witness of your hand in creation also and where creation is going with it. Give thanks to our time together. I give thanks to the space of story and saga and space in which the gods can tell their stories through our eyes. I hope those stories carry us, teach us, embrace us and move us forward. And I give great thanks to Anubis, as well as the many other powerful, beautiful gods of Egypt. And I honor that magic and that land. I also honor all of the people who are our listeners, who may find some sort of inspiration in this story, or some sense of wonder, or be interested in knowing more about Anubis and may you prosper. Many gods of Egypt lived as humans until the early years of adolescence. It was important for us to experience the range of human feelings, fears, and emotions. How else would we be able to interpret or negotiate the fates of mankind and guide them through life, death, and resurrection? At the appropriate time, we would surrender the human life and would take on the Nateru god form. 
the time and nature of this surrender was most important for it opened the door to our full embodied power when our human life ended and the God would take over. The day of my Nateru initiation, my mother Nephthys gathered the appropriate flowers from her garden and ordered the Hem Natier priests to prepare a special bath for me. The top layer of the water was covered with blue lotus and cypress flowers, and the bath chamber air was thick with the intoxicating scent of burning storax. I saw my mother coming through the incensed air, so much like smoke and shadow herself, shifting between steps into her many luminous forms. When she was close and she reached out her arms towards me, she took on her most human form so we could touch. At the age of 12, I was still in many ways a human child, so it was natural for me to crave and feel her affection, her dark, azure-tinted eyes peering into mine intently. I could tell by her gaze that this was the last time we could be together in this way. After tonight, I would no longer be a child or a man. The darkening sky alerted the priests to quicken their final preparations. They combed and braided my hair, anointed me with oils, and secured my sandals. Their whispered hymns of invocation awakening an ancient power and calling inside me. At times it was difficult to retain my current form as this wild rattle began to rise in my center. Be still, my son, hold off a little longer. My mother whispered, laying her hand on my chest and containing the rising thunder, her ability to enforce such a request still fully at her command. You must enter the desert as a boy, not a god. She kissed me on both cheeks, lips, and forehead, then turned and beckoned to the priests. He is ready. Bring his staff and dim the fires at the temple gates. Nephthys petitioned her brother Set, the great god of storms, to calm the desert winds for that eve. The air was electric with a strained, unusual stillness. The dimmed fires at the temple disappearing quickly behind me, leaving nothing to illuminate my path. But darkness did not scare me, and I walked steadily into the night, surrendering to whatever other power awaited me out there. I don't know or recall how long I walked, and it's not important. What's important is the moment when I sensed that I was being watched on my journey. Curious, not afraid, I sniffed the air, for there was no seeing of any kind, and whatever creature was near me might be disguised in illusion. The gentle wind carried the scent of musk, earth, and decay, a rather pleasant and familiar smell. I kept walking, knowing that my stalker would be close on my heels. I know you are there. Who are you? I asked. Response came in the form of a growling laughter. You should know. You are the one who called to me and have come here to find me. A flash of an eye, edge of an ear, quick touch of fur on my skin. The jackal. And he has allowed himself to be seen. He circled around me, intimately close, his warmth and scent blurring my senses. I wanted to fight him, to hold him, to devour him, or be devoured by him altogether. More than anything, his presence awakening the same vibrating storm deep inside, which was brought on earlier by the priest's invocations at the temple. Only this time, it was much more powerful, and I could not contain it. The jackal smelled me through my shroud, assessing my level of anxiousness, testing my courage. He knew it was not him I feared, but the descending madness of me beginning to lose control over my body. 
the currents inside my veins like rivers, quickening the flow of my blood, which now moved in waves strong enough to knock me onto the ground, where I had hoped for a brief moment the laws of gravity would keep me together a little longer. Gravity was no match for this power, and the change continued. Flashes of light appeared beneath my skin, rising like hieroglyphs with a fiery urge, blending my flesh into the night. Lighter and brighter I became, fighting the urge to dissolve as my body shifted from one dimension to another. I reached for the jackal, hoping his firmness would help me maintain my shape. He was my shelter, my witness, my initiator, and I knew into the very depths of my soul that he would not abandon me to this moment. His form, so dark, so vast, now looming over me, dimming the blinding brightness, soothing my spirit against a crescendo of exploding fires. As I focus on his head, massive, perfect, sharp, against the illuminated night, I remember him, and more importantly, I remember his name, which is my only salvation. Wepawet, I cried out. My voice resonated deeply, warping the shape of color and air around me. I have arrived, he answered, with his mouth close to mine. But who are you that calls to me? I felt the last layers of my physical self dissolve now, and through this dissolution, I could see my name. I could hear it, but I feared that with this loss of form, my voice would no longer be able to carry it forward. And yet I had to. I had to gather all that remained or I would be lost forever. With the tumbling speed, lights, and strange symbols swirling within me, I drew what was most likely my last breath. And with this breath, I delivered my name and myself. My breath carried me out of the formless lights and into the open mouth of Wepoet, which became a deep, long tunnel, cool and comforting, a place I felt I could stay forever, but I could not. I had to keep going, and I had to carry my name in this darkness, without a body, without sight, without words, only consciousness. I don't know how long I traveled, but I traveled until my consciousness became sound, and I could see again. I was once again standing, much taller than I was before and much changed. I picked up my staff from the cool ground. Suddenly, many eyes appeared all around, emerging into beings from the velvet night, the great Nateru in their embodied anima powers and shapes. So many of them, some of them I felt I knew, others were not familiar, but they all had the same question. Who comes before us? With the most profound certainty, I replied, I am Anubis, guardian at the gates, illuminator of pathways, protector of the lost, finder of forgotten names. Awesome. My story is about how Anubis came into being. My name is Anubis. I am one of the older gods of Egypt. It's easy to tell that because my head is of a jackal and my body is of a man. Of all of my senses, it is scent that has always captivated me, possibly because of my jackal nose. The associations that I have with particular scents focus me, impassion me, or pull me into memories. Memories. The first memory that I have is one that is not really my own. I'm not sure why I have it. 
The scent is of flowers and of longing. The memory belongs to my mother, the divine Nephthys. The scent is of blue lotus and other flowers that are just a breath away from smelling like rot, all of which had been woven into a headdress, a garland as lovely in its colors as in its scent. It had been woven with the royal insignia of the god Osiris, who would shortly become my father. Added to the garland was a small, inconspicuous cone of soft beeswax imbued with scented oils from night-blooming flowers grown in my mother's medicinal garden. The scent was cloying, complex, glamouring, and ambrosial. She had invited Osiris to a party. The garland was a party favor, an offering given to the guests. This garland was designed for Osiris and was unique. The party, I heard, was well attended by divinities and near divinities. The inclusion of near divinities augurs well for a successful party. They'll dress up painted and bejeweled, happy to gather with the elder and more powerful family members, hopeful that power or patronage might spill in their direction. These brightly robed guests reflected the path that evolution was taking. Most were completely human in form, while others had the heads of birds, reptiles, or animals. When I think about the timing of the party, I can see the careful preparation that mother put into the plan. Her magic is often created in layers. My mother, Nephthys, is a master alchemist, herbalist, and mage. Her herbal blends can sire dynasties, inspire warriors, direct the dead to their proper destinations. This night, she planned to sexually ensnare Osiris, her elder brother, and her sister's husband. Her glamoured oils have been prepared over a series of years. So patient was she in her planning. So strong was she in her longing. My aunt Isis, the actual wife of my father, was away in the South attending a festival in her honor. She was always a little stiff at parties and was just as happy to attend to business. My mother's husband, my stepfather Set, was also away on one of his endless war campaigns. He thrives in that kind of chaos. Nephthys had long since stopped accompanying him on these journeys, preferring to stay at home with her gardens and her friends in quiet contemplation of the stars and tending to her elixirs. Their marriage had proved childless and barren. This was a great sadness for her, one that she was willing to take drastic steps to change. She believed that if chaos magic couldn't produce a child, life magic could. Her longing for a child made her a little reckless. I'd heard my granny Newt saying once when she thought I was asleep, she had no idea what her actions were going to create along with a child. Magic plays out along its own course. It's one of the first things we learn, but it's easy to forget. To explain brings up another remembered scent, that of mud, briny water, marshes, and slime. This was the scent of the primordial mound arising from the waters of creation. From this was the beginning of my family and of humankind, out of this scent came my granny Newt and knew the first beings. Three more pairs of divinities arose from this scent. 
their appearance matched the scent for these pairs had the heads of frogs if they were male or snakes if female. The males, these primordial males held the code for a transformation in a direction predetermined through time itself. The females were the undifferentiated power that fueled the transformations. That's my mother, undifferentiated power. Though paired with new in creation, my grandmother Newt looked for a consort and found Geb, the land itself, just as she was the night sky. My godfather Shu provided the space between for them to find each other, to bring their potentialities into creation and to the births of five children, five gods and goddesses, Osiris, Isis, Set, Nephthys and Horus, the elder. I'm so grateful that Newt is my grandmother. The other female primordials and their mates seem to be focused in an endless and somewhat tiring dynamism. By mating outside the pattern, Newt and Geb created the triad of family. Out of that, my grandmother and my mother know how to come to rest. Newt's actions spawn not just her children, but the patterns that humanity would later embody. Osiris is a great father. He's a gentle god, interested in teaching and learning. He was particularly focused on growing things, especially plants. His explorations in agriculture and brewing were passed on to humans. He spent time helping humans to become better, more noble, more evolved. Osiris was supported in this by his loving wife, Isis. They had a great marriage, spending most of their time together. Isis was a pretty straight arrow, very focused on doing what was right, what was expected. Actually, she created what was expected. She was all about being civilized. Osiris attended the party put on by my mother as a very special guest. There he found that he could be inspired to cut loose. The party had the usual musicians, acrobats, dancing girls and boys and lovely maidens who would feed tidbits to you while you reclined. The heat of the oil, lamps, the bodies, the sensuous night air, the food, all conspired to melt that cone of wax on his head, dripping sensuously into his long black hair, intoxicating him. Good wine and plentiful beer flowed. He enjoyed himself getting a really good buzz. In the late hour of the night, while a bit tipsy, he found himself in the arms of his wife, Isis, not questioning her return, but simply letting himself be pulled into her embrace. Glamoured into perceiving Isis, he was seduced into a night of ecstasy by my mother. A tiny part of his awareness registered that Isis was subtly different. After all, sex with the same person over a long period of time can become a bit routine, but he just went with it. Well, that's how I came into being. Somehow, later, the garland exposed the deception but no one will ever tell me the details of that. Maybe the details got lost because of what unintentionally happened. My mother Nephthys is a goddess of putrefaction and decay. My father Osiris was a god of life. Before hooking up with my mother, he was deathless. Once he consorted with Nephthys, he was pulled into the realm of death. My mother never stopped grieving about this. 
No longer being deathless made him vulnerable to set his equal and opposite. He ended up being abducted, dismembered, and destroyed by my stepfather. He could be reassembled, but never could he actually live. So he became the lord of the underworld, of death, and of resurrection. My great aunties, the primordials, prone to talking about destiny, shook their heads knowingly and said it was all meant to be. Nephthys didn't take it that way. Seeing what her actions did to her brother meant she grieved through my whole gestation. Wailing, she rejected me at birth. After all that, she abandoned me to die, exposed and left alone as a newborn in the wilderness. That remembered scent is of bitter aloes, bloody afterbirth, stone, and grief. Isis was angry and betrayed. Being her, she dealt with it, and it was she who found me. Rather than leave me to die, she took me as her own son, and I got to be raised with my father until he disappeared. I will be loyal unto eternity to them. I have long since understood and forgiven Nephthys. As a god of the underworld and of embalming, I use spells, magic, and incense taught to be my birth mother. I do it in support of my father. In the course of my work with the dead, I have seen the complex family situations that the deceased worry about as they prepare for judgment. I suspect our dynastic family squabbles became one of the patterns that imprinted on humanity. Well, some things are good and some things are not as good, but in life and the hereafter, you have to take the bad with the good. That was lovely. And they'll feel doubly inappropriate, but here I go. <laughs> Why is listening to one parent talk about having sex with the other so revolting? I thought I would be cool with it. I'm sex positive. I can talk about anything. I'm the gatekeeper for the dead. I look at atrocious sins for a living, but no. I never want to think about my parents having sex. It's disgusting. I've heard the stories, of course. First from my aunt Isis when I was a tween, and she's worried that Osiris, whom I call Uncle Dad, might have been cheating on her. She trusted him, but was worried that, in his significant lust, he might be duped again. Of course, between his exposure only to the recently deceased and her possession of the necessary organ, this isn't going to happen. She really just needed to talk about the sadness and jealousy that she felt when my mom, her sister, Nephthys, disguised herself as Aunt Isis in order to seduce Uncle Dad. She wasn't sad and jealous of the sex, of course. Aside from Hera, whose real motives are around respect and honoring commitment, immortals are generally not concerned with fidelity. Monogamy is only valuable as a sacrifice of time and experience for the sanctity of intimate depth and fulfillment. When you literally have all the time in the world and can create limitless depth and fulfillment, it's not so much a sacrifice as pointless deprivation. And as deities, we do have obligations to our single worshipers. Plus, how jealous can you really be of your sister having sex with your brother? Anyway, the point is, she was sad and jealous about potential children, or in mom's case, me. 
She'd always wanted a child, but Uncle Dad, Osiris, was hesitant. He had had a series of dreams that led him to believe that he wouldn't live long enough to raise one. He didn't want to leave Aunt Isis as a single parent. It's a lot of work, and she already has so much on her plate with her career. She told him that if push came to shove, she'd be honored to raise his child. She didn't really believe he would die. He's an immortal and the god of fertility and agriculture. Clearly, he will always come back. She figured that he was just spending too much time watching the fields and had started to identify with the crows or the crops or the crows and the crops. He always had such mixed feelings about sending the birds away hungry. So mom's pregnancy felt unfair to Aunt Isis. As goddess of the night, unconscious, and beer, mom was fully within her domain to simply get Uncle Dad rip-roaring drunk. And Isis, on the other hand, as goddess of consciousness, enlightenment, and positive role modeling, there was no way inebriated seduction fit nicely into her online profile. And Dad, sorry, Set, was furious. Just kidding. Mom wanted him to be furious at having to raise another man's child, but actually he didn't care at all. As a deity who specialized in confusion, it was an act of worship to him. He got that energetic boon. It's like eating for us, but I won't go into that now. Dad, I mean, Set was thrilled. It's not what mom wanted, but it's what mom got. And maybe that and the unconscious thing played a role into dad's promotion. You've probably heard the story. There was a big family to do, and dad, Set, had a beautiful casket made especially for Uncle Dad, Osiris. He made a big deal of giving it to whomever it fit. Lots of people tried it on. I know what you're thinking here. But bear in mind that our parties went on for days. Everyone had been drinking like it was a full-time job with random, spontaneous napping for at least 72 hours. And truth be told, chemistry can't hold a candle to our herbs. It's like people forget that drugs are made of natural substances. Just abuse the inhabitants of your garden long enough for them to vow vengeance through unpleasant side effects. And congratulations! You had converted an admittedly sometimes foul-tasting herb into a pricey drug. To my mind, anal leakage is a high price to pay for avoiding bitterness. Just eat some honey. To be fair, there are a few exceptions, and some of them are brilliant. Nothing is black and white, except black and white. So, Dad eventually convinced Uncle Dad to get into the coffin. The moment he did, Dad slammed the lid shut, grabbed the box, and took off earning himself the title of God of Chaos, which he very much preferred to his earlier moniker, hyper-focusing workaholic magician god with off sense of humor. Aunt Isis was pissed. She screamed a nearly incoherent lecture on brotherly love for a good 20 minutes past the point where Dad could actually hear her. Then the crows came, bearing bits of, well, Uncle Dad. Most people were still pretty drunk, so the birds had to caw it out. Osiris! Osiris! Before people picked up that this was their gift. The gift of Osiris. But once they did get it, there was turmoil. Anisis grabbed her purse and followed the trail, picking up the pieces without a thought to the condition of her favorite handbag. Mom took off after her, trying to figure out what the proper etiquette is when apologizing to your sister for your husband brother vivisecting your brother-in-law brother with whom you are additionally in love? Eventually, she decided to say nothing and just gather parts. 
The two of them wandered the whole valley, collecting Uncle Dad. In the end, they found 42 pieces and reassembled 41 of them so that Uncle Dad could get his promotion and go rule the underworld. Anne Isis kept the 42nd piece. She says it's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Thanks to what she calls number 42, 10 months later, she gave birth to my half-brother cousin Horus. People say Horus avenged Osiris by taking back the throne from Set. But honestly, magician and king are very different. Dad really just wanted to get back to his spellcraft, triple entendres, and in-jokes. It also averted the politically awkward problem of which of us, Horus or I, should go work with Uncle Dad in the underworld. With Horus as king, I just naturally slid into my job, assisting Uncle Dad without contest. Well, some people yelled nepotism, but you've probably already picked up on the idea that we have a pretty different cultural idea about appropriate family values. So, the other day, I'm here doing my job as gatekeeper in the Amduat, Uncle Dad's underworld domain, when one of my mom's worshippers shows up with a shirt of grief struck through her heart. Mott tells me her scale is so close to balance that I should ask around so others can weigh in. We'd hate to let Amit eat an innocent person, plus he's super cranky when you wake him. Besides, between politics and pandemics, he's really been putting on weight. I asked the moral if there's anyone she'd like me to speak to about her life, and she tells me to call mom. Mom and I hug each other and catch up for a few minutes, then mom notices her follower and screams. She jumps up and rips the shard from the mortal's heart. For a moment, I'm relieved. Amit can go on snoring in the corner, but then mom starts talking. No, she screams to the woman. My erotic grief was never yours to bear. Cast off the burden of my lust for Osiris, the memories of him taking me, entering me as a snake into the river. I can't go on, but she did. She went on and on and on. It was horrible. I'm a god. I'm a gatekeeper. I'm an immortal being who determines the fate of the dying. But I never, ever, ever went to hear about my parents having sex. Ahmed and I have agreed on a hand signal. From now on, whenever one of my parents' followers arrive, I'm waking him in advance. And he's going to stand guard. So do they so much as infer a conjugal relationship between my mom and Uncle Dad. He can do his culinary magic while I cover my ears. I thought I could talk about, hear about anything. And I can. Anything but that. That was brilliant. <laughs> it was wow. Very fun. Yeah. That was so good. <laughs> so good. I mean, again, I'm struck by how tied together they are, how one interlaces with the other, but through very different viewpoints. I actually really liked that we had several tweens too. Clearly, we all happen the same age. And, and I don't think that I've never read anything about the age, which I thought was funny. Yeah, I thought that they were all, that together they all had a an element that bound them together because mine wasn't really funny. And somehow there was something in Betsy's that made it somehow possible into being funny, maybe, but not really. And then C's was hilarious, but embellished and embraced all the other elements so well. I just, I love it. I love all of them, all of them together. I felt so irreverent. 
like you guys are so beautiful and so reverent and I was like oh yours was amazing yours was so there's so much in yours that really needed to be said because we are looking at these stories from a perspective of of what it would be like to be there and it would be really weird (laughs) it would be amazing and it would be extraordinary initiatory all those things and in other ways hilarious I do feel as though my story is the bridge between both of your stories still a little bit reined in but let loose in C's version so it was very lovely and I love the magic of the transformation of Anubis in his initiation Mm -hmm. I would imagine it would be something really really difficult and the only way for that to happen would be from having human experiences having having form and then not having form or a different form altogether. And like in every story, the representation of each of the gods is similar yet different. And that's very true. Even when you talk to people about the story of Nephthys and Isis, many people will just straight up and say, I really don't like Nephthys. I really don't like Set. I'm always surprised by this because I love them all, but it's interesting to have that awareness even going into the story and then observing what god what being shows what face what aspect of themselves and this interpretation or that in both of yours i love the beauty of the transformation and moving through very lovely i love how anubis's scent was the carrier Yes, mentioned by you and by me. I mean, when you spoke of the blue lotus and the different aromas, I was really thinking, oh yeah, that jackal knows. That jackal knows, exactly. (laughs) Knows and knows. (laughs) I love the party. I love the party in in Betsy's story and C's story because it, it just really transported me to that realm of intoxication and illusion and being able to just go with those moments, knowing that they're bigger moments than they appear. And that those types of things, the parties, the, the paths of evolution, those were part of what imprint on humanity. So for us as humanity, the family kinds of situations that people find themselves in, the connection with intoxicating substances, what it's like to really party, the connections that people find themselves drawn into and longing for, those came from the gods, but they're all too human now. I'm not quite sure what it is, so I'm hesitant to talk, but I really love the way that it demonstrates how a moment can change forever. Like it happens all the time, but we rarely stop and reflect on, well, one little decision and the whole world has changed for the rest of time and how uh, powerful that is and what a weighty responsibility it can be, as well as how incredibly fun it can be, both of them, and how confusing that is, at least for me. Absolutely. And see, I absolutely love your, your connection to the plant world here in this story. 
so much of it is funny and light and and not dramatic, but there is a certain element of of drama in the experience of Anubis, yet the real magic of alchemy and mystery and life are all in there. Like you have captured them all through the humor and through observation. There's this lens of seeing the unseen as it's emerging into being. Beautiful. I just felt like Anubis is, uh, as an embalmist, he's clearly also an herbalist. He really has that connection to the earth and composition and the beauty that grows from it and how they work together. Yeah. Um, I love how in Betsy's story, his first memory is of, is of his becoming into being, that he tells the story of him coming into being through his own memory that's not his, but is received. Well, it is his, but it's transmitted through another person. I thought that was a really interesting way to present it. Really great way to present it. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. That's very awesome and beautiful. <laughs> I found it so fascinating to be with Anubis again. I mean, it's with each character, with each being that we have the opportunity to spend time with as they literally spin their story or tell their story to us. It was fascinating to feel that connection to scent, which I enjoyed in my own garden. And also the lack of judgment around the way particular scents might be, that something might smell like rot, but still have its place and have its own kind of beauty in that kind of way as well. That was really quite interesting. Well, and scent being the seat of memory. Scent being the strongest invoker of memory, more than hearing, sight, all of those scent can, and it doesn't go away. You can smell a scent you haven't smelled in decades and know exactly what it is, where you smelled it, and remember everything from that moment. So in a way, scent captures the moment and encapsulates it for all eternity. And with your story, see, talking about the herbs becoming drugs or intoxicants, the sense that I had too was the scent can be shared as a memory from one person to another. Then the experience or the, un, or the there's a transmission that occurs when the gods experience something at a particular level, that experience gets transmitted to us if we're anywhere nearby able to take a whiff of it and I loved the the way that your story brought that forward so thank you I loved that in yours as well when you were talking about how they suspected how he suspected that Nephthys was not really Isis immediately I thought it was the scent like she perhaps could disguise everything else but she couldn't disguise her scent but he went with it <laughs> Sure. Yeah. I just love the feeling of the primordials chortling in the back. <laughs> it's just all meant to be. Micromanaging reality can be dangerous. <laughs> but I love the, you know, from be feeling like the bridge story between your stories, I love the reverence and the power of Gabriella's story. 
of his transformation into being that truer version of himself, whether we call him a, a god, a divinity, a deity, but truly Anubis as a tween <laughs> would see his story, you know, to hear that voice of his and to get the sense that, yeah, we can all be like that, able to step into our majesty and our power and being completely unnerved by things that might be happening within our family sphere, but still able to be inspired to serve our true purpose in some kind of way. So that, I'll be taking that into the week with me and thinking about that. Thank you both. It's beautiful. And such a contrast, but yet a weaving together. I totally agree. I loved all, I loved the deep reverence in Gabriella's telling. And I loved the details and the intrigue in Betsy's telling. And clearly I enjoyed the ridiculousness of my telling, but <laughs> I feel like that's actually what I'll be looking at this week. How every moment has the potential, you know, for each of those. They're all present in every moment. And we get to choose how to respond or what part of it to engage. That's beautiful. I'm really grateful for both of your stories and for the weaving of them together, which as always seems so important. I think what I'll be taking with me into this week is, and always, I think this is something that I'll always think of is with family, it's always complicated. And to truly become who we are, who we are meant to be, Sometimes we have to step outside of the family into a uncharted territory, into a place where we are recognized by a whole new level of observers. And it's what we carry through our lineage, through our family, regardless of where we came from. It's that what remains in our name, in our truth, that really matters. And sometimes it's our willingness to do it and leaving everything behind that brings us into where we need to be. So I will be looking at that as what that what needs to be retained, that what needs to be remembered. And like in every good story or like in many good stories, it's the person that breaks the vow. It's the person that breaks out of the bonds of what was what was decided into a true destiny of themselves that's where things can really start beautifully said and it and it strikes me that sometimes the parents that play a limiting role for us actually are playing the role that we need for us to be able to find the edge or to be held in something that maybe even feels confining sometimes that we have to move through and break out of in some kind of way. And I felt that very strongly in my story, just that sense of Nephthys felt real grief at the transformation that was wrought with Osiris. But the, you know, the generation before her were just seeing it as, yeah, this is part of the continuum. This is what's going on. And you're all playing your role just as Isis steps in and steps up. And Nephthys is feeling that those tears that are often associated with her that are really part of that alchemical process. There is that grief when people change out of a role that they've been in for a long period of time and we lose that version of them. 
parents can feel that way as their children step up into a new version. Some parents may be able to support them, others not. But for us, if we really look around and see these beings that are in closely within the sphere around us, they're all playing the role we need for us to be able to step forward and be who we are. And that I really found in this story so clearly and in all of our versions of it. I love that. All the different voices of it. So thank you. Thank you. That was super fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Anubis. Hail Anubis. Hail Anubis. And thank you, Osiris, Nephthys, Isis, and all the people at the party. Absolutely. <laughs> And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.